very thankful for this opportunity uh, to uh, begin uh, here again tonight. <clears throat> and we're happy that uh, we've got your ears. So we want to start talking about some interesting things. But I want, I want to lay a little bit of a foundation. I'm thinking about the time when uh, Jesus um, was led by the Spirit up to the Mount of Temptation. And he met Satan there, uh, also called the devil. And uh, <clears throat> the devil, of course, was the instrument of temptation. And... Um, uh, some of the questions that uh, he asked um, have not always just been understood uh, as to the depth of their meaning, but uh, there's a few uh, things that I want to point out to you as we um, we go through this uh, course of of intrigue and uh, and deep word uh, to see if um, we can uh, lift some of you people right up into the uh, most shining parts of manifested light because uh, it is an exciting thing. Now in chapter 4 of Matthew it says, Then was Jesus led up led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights he was afterwards a hundred. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, to me, that was an extremely unique answer that was given. Uh, I think a lot of times that one of the things that is missed there and overlooked <clears throat> is the the full clarity of the answer that Jesus gave. Um, I don't think for one second or one uh, slightest uh, imagination of a dit of, of time uh, that the tempter who was the devil and Satan would have ever expected, would have ever expected that... Um, that Jesus would turn, uh, you know, the stones uh, into bread. Um, I don't think that the devil expected him to do it, and I don't think that Jesus, of course, would have ever done that. After um, having had the fortitude and the strength to um, deny himself for 40 days and nights, uh, on this moment of temptation... Uh, he certainly would not be in a position to then just simply fall in, into this maze of uh, temptation. <clears throat> I think that the point was something much deeper there, and and I think that uh, uh, the temptation was was much deeper, and that the meanings were much deeper. We have to notice that we were not there on the location. And so we don't know exactly how the geology or ge geographic of things were. But he said, command that these stones be made bread. 
Now that could be quite a subject as to what those stones were. They were particular stones. They weren't just any stones, uh, like pick up some gravel or pick up a big old rock and say, well, tur turn this into, into food. Uh, it was something specific and something that had a very deep meaning. And Jesus would have understood what Satan meant when he said, turn these stones to be made bread. He would also have understood what Jesus meant, uh, what uh, Jesus would understand him to mean when he said the word bread, because those are all deep and fascinating uh, things. Jesus made it clear that there were different meanings to the word bread. He said, I am the bread of life. And that was one of his really big sermon parts about being the bread of life. And so uh, this uh, angel of of Satan, this angel of great wisdom and capability, was certainly speaking in uh, riddles and in parables that Jesus would understand. And uh, Jesus then said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, here is something very curious and very interesting. If we are exclusively just talking about because a person hasn't eaten for 40 days and he's hungry for food, and the subject then is, is specifically about getting some food, that is one thing. But based on the answer that Jesus gave, it actually is something quite different that Jesus understood that Satan was saying. And Satan very well understood that Jesus knew the terms that he was using had specific uh, reference and specific rendering. So when, when Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of, of, of uh, God, he was taking something that could have been expected to be only physical, like physical bread that you eat, and was comparing it <clears throat> to something spiritual, like the Word of God. So he was saying, you know, you eat this Word of God, well, do you eat the Word of God physically? Or is that a spiritual thing? And then the, the bread is a, is, is a physical thing. And was he mixing these two together, the physical and the spiritual? Or was the whole subject about a spiritual uh, referendum of thought, referendum of manifestation? I think that that was the case. I think those stones uh, referred to particular entities. And I think that the Bible talks about the people of God being the lively stones. And the stone is, is a very, very important nature. <clears throat> if you remember that Jesus called Peter a stone, and, and that had very significance. And then he said, upon this rock I will build my church. So st stone didn't just mean uh, a piece of gravel. It, it meant something 
of a much higher, greater uh, potentiation. And as we begin to look at that and, and understand that, that the scope of it becomes gigantic. Now, the part that I want to emphasize here, because I think it leads into the subject of this teaching tonight, is, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, man shall not live by bread alone, whatever that bread was, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And I want to put the emphasis on every word. And I think that this is where uh, many, many religions, uh, many, many people who have sought God, uh, who have uh, desired to know the truth of the word, is that they have failed to incorporate this sentence that Jesus on the on this day uh, on the Mount of Temptation said to Satan, that if you are going to overcome, if you are going to to be able uh, to to fulfill in in the in the deepest sense and in the fourth most sense uh, what God's call upon your life is then he is saying that that needs to be done by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, that which has has proceeded, and that which is proceeding, and that which is yet to proceed, are all one and the same thing. Because in the ultimacy of God, there is no time. And so they all melt into a oneness, whether it is in the figuration of the was that was and the is that is and the to be that is to be. So in that kind of sense, uh, we look at this and we see that that proceeding out of the mouth of God, that the importance of it is that you can't just you can't split up the doctrines. You can't split up the revelations. You can't split up the, the, the different uh, uh, parables, uh, the different stories. Uh, you are going to live by being able to put together the whole puzzle, which means every piece of the puzzle. You've got to have every piece of the puzzle to be able to put it together to get the true picture. You've got to have every part of the truth in order to get the whole truth. You have to have every part of the story in order to finish the story. And so it's every word that has proceeded out of the mouth of God. And that is very, very, very important. And so as we are looking into these things about, uh, you know, the revelation, there are so many things. Um, I've always intended to do a teaching sometime. Uh, a little more extensive, um, at least 60-fold revelation on Son of Man. Because, you know, Jesus used two different names, Son of Man, Son of God. Uh, we taught the thing called uh, deferred uh, progeny uh, or pro deferred progenity, uh, using whichever term you would want to there. Uh, but but what it meant in the doctrine that we taught, that it was possible for a birth that was in the loins, like Abraham talked about that Levi was in his loins when he paid tithes to Melchizedek. And so he credits Levi 
with having paid tithes to Melchizedek, even though Levi was not yet born, but because he was in his loins, and 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 because of that destiny situation. So when Jesus says he is the son of man, what he is really saying that he is the son of Adam. And that is the that is the meaning of it. And if you go back into ancient texts, uh, you would find that that is supported by ancient texts. Uh, some of, of these texts have been uh, misused and abused and are hidden. And there's pieces of them in museums and and pieces of them that people have in collections. And and but but you know they they are uh, uh, in a sense available if you look hard enough to be able to to find them uh, speaking on that <clears throat> it's very interesting that um, when the uh, the lost uh, sea scrolls uh, were found uh, that it took 50 years plus before it could really in a, a full sense uh, be released to the people Basically, for the first 20 years, it was just saying it's irrelevant. It really doesn't apply to anything that has to do with Christianity. And then, over the years, in that 50-year course of time, it began to change. And they began to say, well, yes, it has a lot to do with Christianity. It lays the whole framework of the early church and the beginning of the church. And, and it's absolutely necessary. So, so we see that there have been uh, lost languages. There have been books written that are lost. It mentions uh, tw over 21 uh, books in the Bible that have been lost. Uh, interestingly, um, the, the Vatican Library is a sensational thing. Um, it, it, it has huge collections of books, uh, but it also has which a lot of people know about, but they don't know the extent of it. It has, a, it has secret archives. And, um, and, and these the secret archives of the Vatican uh, comprise, now get a hold of this, because this is, this is really a grip on understanding how far away from the fulfillment of being able to speak every word that had proceeded from the mouth of God that we can be unless God brings it forth anew through a prophet or a, or, or a person manifesting. Uh, because in the Vatican secret archives, there are 25 miles, let me repeat that, 25 miles of bookshelves of scrolls, parchments, paper manuscripts, and codices. Much of the secret archives are still terra incognita which means they are not allowed to be read by anyone. In one square, in just one square of this tremendous 25 miles of secret, uh, uh, secret information, which is like dust-filled rooms, there are over 10,000 packages of unexam unexamined documents uh, that this one particular person examining the Vatican um, uh, manuscripts and parchments and so forth uh, that were part of these um, 
these secret archives. He found just in one section, one little section, like a room section, he found, as I was reading, 10,000 packages of documents that had never, ever been examined. Now, when we put that in the light of every word that proceeds, has proceeded, is proceeding, is yet to proceed from God, that these are the foods that people need to live on. It says, and I, I want to read it. I want to re read it again uh, because it is so absolutely outstanding. I want to read it again. And he answered and said, "Man shall not live by bread alone. Shall not, but by every word, every word." every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Ladies and gentlemen, those words that have been spoken, that go back into time, that go back into history, that are ancient, they belong to you. That is proven by the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus has made that clear. Those words belong to you. The truth and the meaning of those words and the manifestation of those, of those words, the solving of the riddles, the solving of the mysteries, the solving of the parables, that all belongs to you because it is a, a continuum of the word. And it belongs to you and it means that every word that has proceeded, is proceeding, and shall proceed belongs to you and you shall not just have bread alone. Now, there are many comparatives that we could use to apply this bread to. Many comparatives. But that's really not the subject I want to get into tonight, and I'll save it for another time. But I want to say that, let's say that that represents an important portion. And it's an important portion. And yet, even though it be an important portion, whether you want to call it revelation or doctrine, or, or, or um, you know, various uh, sequential things that a person is to follow, like as a law of God, it still is not complete. It still is not full. That's why when Jesus came, he noted that there were many things that the law said. And he understood that they were very strongly said from the mouth of Moses, and he understood they were very strongly said from the mouth of prophets and priests. And he would say, uh, you know, the scripture says, or, Mo or Moses said, thus and thus, but I say to you. And he would add the words that were missing. Those words were missing from after the day they were written, before the ink was even dry. Those words were missing in the formula of spiritual overcoming. And Jesus came to fulfill the law by fulfilling the things to be said that were not said and to set up those who would be disciples 
And people who were following him and believing in him to be able to speak things that in the day in which he lived, of which it says in John that the people could not comprehend his word, and that they were a darkness, that the darkness comprehended him not. But Jesus still intended that word to be comprehended. And so it was deferred, just like Adam was deferred as being the father, in a sense, of Christ by deferred progeny. Because if you say, I am the son of man or the son of, of Adam, then you are saying, okay, that whoever that, that man was, that was my father. Now that is very important to understand that. That was my father. And it was a strange kind of doctrine for him to have when the whole idea was that he was born of a virgin. But he was trying to show people that, you know, you have to live by every every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. And there was a great revelation that that was to be added to this revelation of Mary and the, the, the virgin birth because she was moved on by the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost brought forth these genes going all of the way back to Adam and brought them forth in her in the line of descent that ended up uh, being her genealogy. And, and then she was impregnated by that deferred progeny seed of Adam so that Adam then became the father of Jesus. Now that's not any different than when we talk about in John the Father and we say, you know, and you know, he, the Father loved the world so much he gave his only begotten Son. So you have the Father, God, and, and the only begotten Son. And then you have some point at which the Son becomes the Father again. And we want to talk about those kind of things because they certainly do have a need to be understood as being part of the every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. They have a need to be understood, especially when you start getting into these very advanced times in which you're going to have uh, satanic forces, angelic forces, and they are going to be able to take and, and germinate uh, from the very atoms uh, in, in space. And, and begin begin to uh, make creations out of it. And to then to bring that forward and 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 to in the sense of of latolution, uh, be able to to develop uh, uh, these different kinds of creations. And that's what we see, of course, that Lucifer does when he creates this whole army of the mantis people. He creates this whole army. And, and he, he uses natural forces to create them. And that's hard for us to understand, but it's just Bible all the way through. And the one of the reasons and the one of the reasons it's hard to understand is because people are so sewed up with the limits of where science is today, where religion is today, where knowledge is today, where wisdom is today. And they're, they're bound in those kind of limitations. But we know that when Daniel 
and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken captives and brought to Babylon, that uh, they went through some very difficult times because they refused to partake of some of the things that they felt would go against their faith and their, their religion. Uh, but they were given a chance uh, to prove that if they did not follow some of the uh, some of the uh, suggestions and and demands of uh, the kingdom government, uh, that they could do just as well in providing what their jobs were for the kingdom. And in Daniel one seventeen, it says that God gave them knowledge and skill in all all learning and wisdom now any of you people out there when you read the manifest writings and the and the blogs and and you feel like oh my god this is just too difficult i could never i could never learn to do this well you need to have the faith you know the size of a mustard seed, because that's all you need. And if you can just have the faith of, a, of a, uh, the size of a mustard seed, uh, you can turn that kind of a mentality all around. Because uh, these four persons, they didn't, they didn't gain all that knowledge that they had from book, book learning. That knowledge and wisdom and understanding, was, and, and, and the capability uh, to have, have uh, skill, in, in all learning and wisdom uh, came from God. And God is not a respecter of persons. He'll do the same thing for you that he has done for anybody else in history. If you just knock, he'll, he'll open. If you ask, he'll give. And, um, you know, it's interesting because the script, scripture indicates that in matters of wisdom and understanding, that the king of that time found those four persons, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to be ten times better, ten times better than all the magicians and the astrologers that he had in his kingdom. Ten times better. And so, when we are talking about the Son of God, and the Son of Man. You know, we might think that that is a self-concluded expression that cannot be broken down. But oh my, can it ever be, can it ever be expanded? And when we understand that when Jesus was saying, I am the Son of Adam, and I am the Son of my Father God, Now we begin to understand where that he was the root and the offspring of David. He was on both sides of David, before David and after David. And that's why he could say before Abraham, I was, or I am. So significant, so important, so absolutely beautiful. There are things that people don't understand. Like, for instance, those that have had experienced the stigmata. 
uh, that is something that at one moment it is not there. And the next moment it suddenly appears. And all kinds of people can see it. And they can look at it. And sometimes the stigmata might be in the hands and it is bleeding. Just like if it were an actual wound. And there are different aspects of the stigmata that can be expanded on that. But if that can happen in the stigmata, and it's happened with quite a few people over the course of history, then that is nothing less than atomization. That is nothing less than taking something that is invisible like atoms and making them into molecular constructions and having them to be manifested. And there are many different forms of manifestation that a person can take. And then you can not only take that stigmata and manifest it to be one type of thing, but in the sense of the computer world, you could, you could do morphine on it. So that it is morphed into other kinds of shapes and, and shifts of shapes. And we've got to get this kind of stuff in our mind because, you know, this is the age for learning how to walk on water. This is the age that God wants to bring us beyond ourselves into a very, very spiritual place with God. And I think that, uh, that there's no reason why we cannot have these things happen in our life if we are only willing to accept it. Okay, now we want to talk about um, some other things. I want to talk about, as we still deal on this thing about um, uh, every word, understanding every word. We have show, shown in the manifest teachings that the word and, A-N-D, has the potential of being very extensive. And on page 50 of the Manifest Chronicles before Genesis, um, a few paragraphs down, it says, and can be a form of conjunctive syndaki, synecdoche, where and as a word of presentation connects as expressed as an expressed part that is locally contextual to an unexpressed part that is contextual by the whole of a subject, book, or divine writ, or by the whole of the implied or not implied, said or not said, but spiritually revealed insight that makes it a complete statement. That is so powerful. This synecdoche is so powerful because what it is saying is that you can have a single word, which quite often this word and shows up in the book of Revelations. And that and means more than here's, here's a conjunct that's being added from the one verse to another verse. It means that there are other things not expressed contextually in that verse or in that, that uh, chapter or even in the book of Revelation that are additional and belong to that book. And they are unexpressed uh, in the book, but they are expressed 
contextually if you take the whole of the whole writ. And then if we were to take the whole of every word that was spoken from the mouth of God, my, how incredible that and becomes. When God begins to open our mind into the wisdom and the knowledge of God and expands our insights and expands our capabilities of understanding that you cannot pull something out of context and expect it to be explicit in detail. Because if you do, you are going to miss the implied. You are going to miss the continuum of word that is contextually attached to that part of the word, which cannot be made a type of singularity because it is a compound revelation. And as a compound revelation, all of those parts belong to one another. And until all those parts are brought together, like when Jesus said, he came to fulfill the law. And I know the law says this, but now here's the rest of it. Here's what it really means. And you would not be able to understand what it really means without having that extra word spoken and said, because that extra word spoken and said clarifies what the intent of that original statement was. And the missing implied parts that there seemed to be no idea of any possibility to fulfill, so people just put a period. But they're real, <clears throat> and the possibility is near unlimited. So, taking that example of the word and, <clears throat> you people that are following this destinata revelation, you people that are following these truths, need to come up close to this word. You need to hug this word. Because this is the kind of word that will stop Satan in his tracks on the Mount of Temptation. He can't answer and challenge that kind of word. Because even in the depth of his soul, he knows it's true. And this is the kind of word that the devil knows is true, and he trembles at hearing it. So, in the sense of, of that revelation, this conjunction, this and, can be an ellipsis where the subject, as stated, is incomplete and can only be completed when the omissions that are elliptically known are supplied. And that's just a touch, a touch of ingrainment, a touch of excitement of all of the things that we need to know and we need to study and we need to have the answers about. Now, I want to take a scripture out of uh, Revelations that I think you will find very interesting. And I want to uh, read this to you because uh, it, it does reveal something uh, very dynamic. And um, it, it, it is well worth, um, well worth digging into. Uh, 
uh, as you will see. And I'm just sort of thumbing through here to, to find it because it is interesting. Um, okay, just a moment here. See what page I've got this on. But um, turn with, get into the book of Revelation because that's where we're going to find this at. And let's, uh, let's just see if we can, uh, we can make this very exciting for you. And let me get my Bible and get it open there too. And I think we're talking about the 8th chapter of Revelations. So let's look at that. Now, this is just a simple little scripture. And it would seem to be self-sufficient. It would seem to be complete in what it says. And it's Revelations 8, verse 6. And here's what it says. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. I read it again. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Now let's just look at that. The seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. What were they doing? Were they looking at the trumpets and sort of handling them and, and uh, maybe sort of blowing through them to warm up the tubing? Uh, did they need to be polished off a little bit? Uh, were they putting their, their lips on the mouthpieces and sort of uh, pressing their lips into it and blowing through that to sort of get ready for helping to make the tonations that would come through the trumpets? Is that what that was saying, that they were preparing to sound by dealing with the trumpets? I think that is quite not what it's talking about at all. Now, in the Peace Manifest Bible, it says that these seven angels, what was happening is they were, they were at that time be, uh, taking on human bodies and bodies that would be uh, totally formatted, so to speak, uh, into the culture in which they would appear so that when they begin to bring this word forth, this sound, because we know that, that Paul says, you know, in the 10th chapter, you know, um, of Romans, that there is not any, that everybody has heard this sound and they have heard this word. So he relates sound and word, in that case, being the same thing. So this, they're preparing, these angels are, to give this sound, to give this word, to give this message. And uh, they, it has got to be of the nature that it can be recognized by the other people. If uh, the angels come and they give the sound of an insect, and in the insect language, it is saying the very things that, that want to be said to the extent they can use the insect language, none of the humans are going to understand it. 
So it's got to be of a nature that they can understand it. And then humans uh, don't always just accept hearing something. They Many of them, in order to really believe a message, sort of have to witness the persons that it's coming from or at least have some kind of a picture of personification. Now, in this case, you've got uh, messenger, which is not a personified word in the fullest sense, uh, personified in the from the Greek into the English to angel. And people have a picture in their mind of that. But the word takes it beyond that, every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The word takes it beyond that and takes it into the compose of, of this revelation of them taking and translating, transforming themselves. Now someone says, well, how do you know that anything like that has been done? Well, Satan is always uh, in counterpoint to the things of God. Uh, he's always trying to copy. He's always trying to, to uh, be as good as or better than than the things that are of God. And the Bible says that he himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So this is a, a common thing that angels who have the knowledge and the capability and the skill are able to do. They can transform themselves from one state to another, sort of a, a morphine, and, and they, they, they can do that. So this is what the message really is, and that is missing from this text, and a person would just find it very difficult to have any idea as, as to what these angels were doing, but in verse 6, the first word, and, and, there's our, uh, there, there's our, our Senate right there. There's our Senate the word, and. The angels took the, uh, the censer and filled it, that's verse 5, and then in verse 6, and the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And it's utter. It's exciting when we begin to open this up and say, okay, hey, I accept that. There's an and there. And that and means there's more to come. There, there's an ellipsis there. there, there there's more revelation there. there. There's things that that belong. They are adhered by by president and they are in, adhere, adhered by implications and 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 various other uh, meanings uh, of belonging uh, to the rest of the word that that uh, has not been said, and they they belong to the rest. To, they belong to the word that has been said, and and they belong to the rest of the word that has not been said, because no particular uh, a aspect or, or part of the word is going to stand alone. It all embraces one to the other. Now that is very important. Now one of the very important aspects that God wanted to make clear through David and that God wanted to make clear through Moses, see that you make these things according to the pattern that was given to you at the time of Mount Sinai. Because that was when the 20,000 chariots appeared and the angels of God appeared and the Shekinah glory appeared. And they began to reveal these kinds of revelation. And, and 
Moses and 70 of the elders saw these <clears throat> these unusual um, uh, chariots of the uh, of, of God these these ziths and and, and they, they they saw them a uh, one huge uh, uh, mothership almost a planetome they they saw it as a a pavement of of crystal uh, kind of sapphire uh, uh, see-through transparent stone uh, up in the, up in the heavens they of course did not have telescopes so they couldn't uh, just really uh, you know beam in on it uh, to get clarity but these things have been happening they're in the bible they belong to the rest of the story and when people start saying i'm i don't want to hear that that's fantasy uh that that that's that's not bible uh then what they're doing is they are cutting out the words of jesus christ who said you can't live by just bread alone you can't live by just the doctrine in your church alone. You can't live just by the ideas that, that you have bred in the thinkamajigs of your, of your thoughts. You can't live by that alone. You can't live in the island in the singularity uh, of a little uh, cottage of, of self-survival of your religious notions. But if you want to survive, if you want to really come into... Uh, the fullness that will develop your spirit, that will keep your soul, that will give you skills and knowledge and wisdom. You need every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word. And you have to be so careful, so careful that you don't push away these pearls of great price. That you don't toss them away. That you don't just say, "No, I, I don't. I don't believe that. I, I, I've never seen that in the Bible before, or I've never heard that before. That's not what they teach where I've been." You, you cannot go there. You, you must understand Jesus is saying, "You can't live by just bread alone." Even if you look at that from the sense of real bread, if that would be all you had to live on to eat on. That would, not, that would not take care of your body needs. It would not supply all the vitamins. It wouldn't supply the greens that you need. It wouldn't supply the many other kinds of, of essential foods that you need. You can't live on that alone. It certainly has its support and, and its additive uh, virtue of supply. But you can't live on that alone. So as we expand out into these areas... Uh, where, in a sense, da angels da dare to tread, uh, dare not tread, um, for reasons sometime I'll sermonize on, it's so important that people say, hey, you know, put me down. Uh, the Bible says if you ask anything with a true heart, uh, then God will not give you a stone. He'll not give you a stone. And And doesn't that go right along with, you know, Satan said, Turn these stones into bread. And, and, and Jesus said, no, you cannot live by bread alone. And by the same token, you know, God will not give you just a stone. He'll not give you just the bread. 
He'll give you much, much more than that. You can trust God that he's not going to leave you cribbed up uh, in, into some kind of a calves pen uh, where you have no roaming rights. God wants you to have roaming rights in the Word of God, to be able to roam through this Word of God, to be able to roam with your, your ears and roam with your eyes, uh, to be able to taste with your tongue uh, the various kinds of spiritual menu that are being prepared and taste and see whether or not you, you taste in that the energies of God. Hear and listen and see whether or not you hear. And Jesus said the same thing he, over and over. He would say, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Too often we are listening not to what the Spirit is saying, but we are listening to what the flesh is saying. And the message today is to hear what the Spirit saith. And that takes me to another scripture that I want to interpret, which is um, very, very interesting. Um, let me see if I can find it here real fast. Um, let's turn to um, Revelations. And let's just see what we can find here. Revelations 8. And I want to share this. You'll, you'll find this, um, this scripture pretty deep. Um, but that's good. That, that, uh, you'll find that um, very interesting. Okay, first, before I get into these, to the fullness of all these scriptures, let's just start with Revelations 8, uh, verses 3 and 4. Revelations 8, verses 3 and 4. In the King James, it says, And another angel. Now, this interpretation I'm going to give here is very important, and you'll see why in a minute. The verse prior to verse 3 is verse 2, and it says, And I saw thee seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel. Now we've got the seven angels that stood before God, which are the seven archangels, representing the, the seven hosts of the overcomers, of a universe, each archangel representing a different universe. But suddenly now, thrown into the picture, is another angel, which obviously is in addition to those. Someone say, okay, well, is that talking about another universe? No. Remember that these seven archangels collectively are plurally represented all of the angels that were under them in their universe. So that doesn't do away with their existence. They still exist, and they, they are not just sitting by while the chief architect is the only one doing anything. They have works that they do too. So this is one of the angels from the hosts of one of the universes that's involved here. And this is the other angel. Now, 
in um, the MIV Peace Bible, the wording of it is like this. And another angel, who was one of the host angels of one of the universes represented by one of the seven spirits of God, uh, by, by one of the seven archangels of the seven spirits of God, came and stood before the highest of all altars, which is the altar of incense, also called the golden altar of the prayers of the saints. Now, let's read that verse 3 in the King James. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense. that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Now, people would look at that and they might say, ah, well, that's, um, that's complete. But don't forget, at the beginning of that, of that verse, there is an an, a senecdoche. And that means there are other things that are also needed to fulfill this verse. So, let's turn to Exodus 30. And let me read a little history on this thing about the censer and the altar. Exodus 30. Because this is very interesting. Here's what it says. And thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I, mean I God, or I Lord, will meet with thee. Now anything that is so prevalent and so embodied in doing it absolutely and totally correctly so that there would be nothing to stop God's presence from meeting with you. You had to follow the pattern given on the mount to follow it precisely. There's a precise pattern. Excuse me. I just needs it. A precise pattern. So, if you don't follow the precise pattern, then is God going to meet with you? No. Very possibly not. And if you want God to meet with you, which I'm sure most people do, then you need to follow the pattern that was given on the mount. And it wasn't just Moses up there, and it wasn't just some of his people like Joshua and standing, not you know, somewhere on the mountain, but there was thousands of angels, and there was the Lord ministering, and there was a pattern there that was given so that if you followed this pattern, you could incorporate 
not only the presence of the Lord, but you could incorporate the presence of those 20,000 chariots and their occupants. So that when you got the pattern right, you yourself personally, by following the pattern, could at some moment, some day, some time, experience, perhaps on a different level, perhaps in a different way, but nevertheless, experience the presence of, of the Lord and experience the presence of His angels. There hasn't been enough of this taught. People are not mentally prepared for this. They're not literally, physically prepared for this. They're not spiritually prepared for this. They have been missing the conjunctive and the synecdoche. They've been missing the ellipsis. <clears throat> and God is wanting to manifest those things so that our people will not miss those truths any longer. But we will live by every word, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And it's time to stop being one of these people going around truncating, truncating the word of God. Cutting this out, cutting that out. Oh, you don't need this, you don't need that. Oh, that doesn't apply to you. It's time to open up the book and let God's word baptize you. And what is meant to cling to you well and what is not meant to cling, cling to you will wash off. Praise be the name of God. Let's go on. Let's read the rest of this. And I'll meet with you there. Verse 7. And Aaron shall burn there on sweet incense every morning. When he dresses the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at evening... He shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Ladies and gentlemen, no matter how a person wants to say it, there is something here that is a pattern. God has never said and is not saying that in the implementation of a specific kind of of shape of vessel or weight of vessel that the ultimate meaning of that is a duplication or a replication. But what God is saying is that those vessels and those experiences are shadows and types that belong to a spiritual connection for you. And they're the pattern of it, and they are therefore vital, absolutely vital, and not to be set aside. And you have to understand that this, this offering of this incense upon this altar is not the altar where they, they burn flesh of animals. In verse 9, you shall offer no strange incense thereon. You can't just make up the kind of, of mixture that you want. What you want to smell, what you want to taste, what you want to experience. There is a specific rendering 
nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offerings, neither shall you pour drink offerings there. This is not the old classic kill and burn sacrifice on the altar for the burnt offerings. This is the altar of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that's what the book of Revelations is about. It's about the testimony of Jesus Christ. So this is very, very important. This is an advance right within the book already. Wow. Wow. Verse 12. When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord. When thou numberest them, there shall be no plague among them Listen to that. There shall be no plague among them when thou numberest them. They shall give every one that passes among them that are numbered half a shekel. Now, a shekel is 20 um, uh, giras. And... Uh, I rarely ever use that word, so I'm not even sure of the pronunciation of it. But I know it's a, it's a measurement of weight. And uh, so if you have a half a shekel, uh, then it would be ten giras. <coughs> and that ten giras uh, is symbolic of the sacred tenth. <coughs> Praise God. Praise God. Amen. The sacred tent that it mentions in Isaiah, we'll get to that after a while. Now, there's a part that I did not read, and I want to come back to it. Um, in Exodus 30, verse 1, <clears throat> Thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. Of Shedom wood shalt thou make it. <clears throat> and a cubit shall be the length thereof and a cubit the breadth thereof four score shall be in two cubits and so forth and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold the top thereof and the sides thereof around about and the horns thereof and they shall make unto it a crown of gold around about now let's go back to this uh, interpretation of the Peace Bible. I'll start from the beginning of that verse. And another angel, who was one of the host of the angels of one of the universes, represented by one of the seven archangels of the seven spirits of God, came and stood before the highest of all altars, which is the altar of incense, also called the golden altar of the prayer of the saints. And I refer then to Exodus 37 through 10, which I read to you. And being an angel who had power 
over fire untested the sin tone of the people. Now, um, I, I believe, if I'm referring to the right one, yes, I am. You can see this in Revelations 14:18. I'm not going to turn to it right now, but it talks about another angel who had uh, had power over fire, and I and this is being connected in this manifested version uh, in this scripture that I'm reading. <coughs> and um, um, tested the syntone over syntonic fire, and untested the 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 syntones of the saints to see which prayers were by the Holy Ghost, because such prayers were spoken unto God and cannot be understood by the mortal nature of humans, but regard the mysteries of God. Now, I've read this scripture to you, not today, but before, but it's a very important scripture. So if you would turn to me to the book of Corinth, with me to the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Let me, uh, let me read this in uh, chapter 14, verse 2. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh unto men, speaketh not unto men. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. Now here is the point of this scripture, of this MIV, that this incense, which is the prayers of the saints. <clears throat> this isn't common kind of prayer. This isn't, you know, a Jody praying for her sister. Not that there's anything wrong with that. This isn't uh, Tom uh, Tom uh, Titherton uh, praying for his business. These are spiritual prayers that have to do with the sacred meaning of what this whole thing about the censer, the altar, the mercy seat, and within the veil is all about. And it doesn't mean there's not a place in God for all these other kind of prayers. But this particular place was a holy of holies, and it was a, an exclusive uh, place in which a person was following a pattern so that the presence of God would meet you before the altar and before the the holy chest of the testimony whereupon was the mercy seat and that when this censer was lit with fire then the person going in there to do that had in his hand, along with the censer when he walked in, had in his hand a handful of, of this aroma incense that he puts into the burning fire in, this, in the censer. And then the aroma begins to come up and it forms a cloud over a misty cloud over the 
mercy seat and over the testimony. And there, in that setting, in that pattern, God comes and meets with the person who is there. When people say to me, I'd like to have meet an angel. I'd like to meet God. I'd like to... Well, you might have to get things to the point that you're following the, the, the pattern on the mount. The pattern that was spoken of by Paul. The pattern that was spoken of by David. The pattern that was spoken of by, by Moses. And the pattern that was spoken of by many other spiritual prophets and people and Jesus in the Bible. Let's just go on with this this verse. It's, it's Revelations 8, 3 through 4. So these prayers were being, were being checked by the angel. He was checking the sin tone to see whether or not the prayers had the sin tone in it of the Holy Ghost. Because if it was a prayer by the Holy Ghost, that prayer would be speaking in words that the flesh could not understand. It would be speaking in revelation that the flesh could not understand. It would be speaking, though, and communicating the mysteries that, that had not been known. And it would be bringing forth those mysteries. And as it brought forth those mysteries, believe me, that prayer was being accepted by God because it was in God language. And we've got to get into that 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, verse 2. So that people begin to pray in the Spirit and begin to pray in this kind of divine uh, a Holy Ghost prayer that, that, that resolves the mysteries of God in a language of communion with God. And the aroma of the prayers rose as smoke rises but not to a mortal sky, but to an immortal God. For these prayers were measured by the hand of angel of an angel to ascertain they were Holy Ghost-inspired prayers. Revelations 21, 17. Let's look at that. And that's right almost at the end of the book of Revelations. Only 22, uh, 22 verses, uh, chapters in uh, the book of Revelations. twenty-one, seventeen, And he measured the wall thereof, a hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of man, of a man, that is, of the angel. This whole revelation, throughout the entire whole book of Revelations, throughout the entire book of, of uh, Daniel, throughout the Bible, is the same revelation. Is patterns of physical things to be shown as parables, to be shown as shadows and types that all have to do about the spiritual kingdom and about the spirit world. And about the angel or angelic world. And when people are missing that, they're, 
they're diddle-daddling below even the 30-fold revelation of God. If people can even get into the 30-fold revelation of God, they're going to be on, they're going to be on good soil. But once you've gotten to the 30-fold, why not move up to the 60-fold? Once you get to the 60-fold, why not move up to the 100-fold revelation? Because it's the three different uh, levels spoken of in Proverbs 22, MIV, that, that shows us that this was all part of the plan of God for us to know these things. And it's all part of the three days that Jesus spent in the tomb. Supposedly in the tomb. And also three days before the resurrection. It's all part of the of the three different levels. It's the whole thing over and over. It's the time, times and a half time. It's the thirty, the sixty, the hundredfold. It's all part of the same thing. Because it's all based on healing the one-third, the one-third, and the one-third that belong together as a compound group. One-third Ophanim stars, one-third stars of the cherubim, one-third stars of the seraphim. A third, a third, a third. And when you see throughout Revelations, a third of this was, was hurt. A third of that was hurt. It's all about the message of the war of the angels. And it's so very important to have your eyesight widened so you can begin to see these things. Wow. For the prayer incense of the saints by the Holy Ghost was chosen before the foundations of the world to be the method for communing between God and the saints, for the altar of burnt sacrifice and meat and drink offerings was made to pass as a shadow passes because Jesus Christ replaced them by Am's own life of flesh and blood and Holy Ghost. Hosea 6.6 6, and Hebrews 10.1. I don't have time to turn to that right now. Now we begin to see, just in the most shallow phasing of what I am speaking, that it is the time for these revelations. I know that when some people read these blogs on the Star Wars and, and some of the things that I write, it's almost shocking to them. They, they can't imagine that that really has a place of disposition within the context of the Word. But then they don't understand Jesus turning a few fishes and a few loaves into enough reality to feed a whole multitude of 5,000 people. They don't understand to take a boy's lunch and multiply it so it will fill 5,000 people and still have leftovers. Unless we can get into that 
revelation of the multiplication and of feeding the multitude with a handful of something and understand that this is angel manna. This is the way God does things. Unless we get into that, then don't expect to really understand the Word of God. It has universal connection. <clears throat> it has Holy Ghost connection. It has connection to everything that is above you, everything that is below you, and everything that is within you. And the Bible says, if you go to the highest star, God is there. If you go to the lowest hell, God is lowest hell, God is there. That is just the way that it works, ladies and gentlemen. That is just the way it works. Praise God. Now, let's look at uh, Revelations twelve. 14. Revelations 12, 14. Just give you time to get to that. And the woman, and unto the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and a half a times from the face of the serpent. <clears throat> People can go ahead and take this time, times, and a half time and turn it into all kinds of things. They can put Alexander the Great into it and all these other uh, these other army uh, armies and and kingdoms and there will be an application but there won't be a fulfillment <clears throat> of the total meaning of the word. The total fulfillment of the total meaning of the word is so much greater than that. And here we see that the woman queen, who is described in the first verse of chapter 12, this great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and a moon under her feet, this queen of heaven woman, some people call it the church, but I don't think the church is a complete name really for it. Because... It's too denominational in so many ways and times. This is a connectedness of all the people that belong to, to each other by, by spirit and by soul, by heart and by love. This is a belonging that's greater than just a platform given a name. And this woman is given these wings. I'm sure there's some of you people out there who would say, wow, boy, there's some times I needed those wings. 
I sure needed to be taken out of the messes I've been in. I sure needed to be removed from the difficulties I've been in attached to. Well, we got to follow the pattern and then it can be done. Now in Revelations 14, at 12, 14, here's the MIV. In order to balance the Lucifer Satan force that was to come to earth, cherubim guardians were sent as eagle wings to be spirit wheel circuits around about the woman queen. And there was prepared a mental place of mine where she could be nourished in the word through the time, times, and a half times safe from the serpent beast. Now how do we know that there's a connection to the cherubim? Well, turn to Ezekiel chapter 10. And let's just look here. Because here's a case of the of one part is connected to another. You have to have total total pressure. It has to be complete pressure, complete contextual connection. You can't take one little verse, one part of a verse, and say, well, this is what it says. I'm going to stand on it. That's not holy ground. That's not holy, holy, holy. Thirty-fold, sixty-fold, a hundred-fold. Three days in the, the grave before the resurrection. That's not the complete circuit. Time, times, and a half times. Not to get off the subject, but Jesus, he said that people should read about the abomination that makes it desolate. But he said, let everyone that reads understand what it is he is reading. You can say, hey, I'm on this program. I, I read the whole Bible in one year. And hey, I applaud you for that, and that's great. But if you read it without the understanding... You're like that man who Philip met, who was an Ethiopian, I believe, or someone of that nature. And, and Philip said, do you understand what you read? And he said, no, I don't. He was reading, but he didn't understand it. And I'm talking to people every day that they are wondering why for so many years that they have been led in a dark interpretation of the word and not been revealed the light of the word to be able to see the importance of this expansion of the contextuality, the pressure that is intended for people to have so they can fit the jigsaw puzzle together and it can become the flying carpet into heavenly places. So, there are many wonderful revelations about the abomination that make it desolate. And, you know, Lord willing, we'll get a chance to talk about that. But let's back to chapter 10 of the book of Ezekiel. And let's just look at that 10, beginning with the 13th through the 20th verse. Ezekiel 10. 
13. As for the wheels, it was cried unto them in my hearing, O wheel. It's not too difficult to look at that verse and see the personification that those wheels represent entities. They represent persons. And every one... Now what was the subject? Wheels. And for the wheels it was crying unto them. And every one had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub. The second face was the face of a man. The third, the face of a lion. And the fourth, the face of an eagle. Now it just so happens that this represents the four different kinds of mankind. And that's why there are four winds of the earth and, and four corners, which it doesn't mean that the earth is not round, but, but when you get into longitudes, when you get into um, latitudes and you get into parallels, uh, it is not difficult to make a square and to make a corner. Now let's listen to this. And every one of them had the four faces. And there, there's an eagle there. And who were these? And the cherubims were lifted up. This is the living creature that I saw by the river of Chabar. And when the cherubims went, the wheels went by them. And when the cherubims lifted up their wings to mount up from the earth, the same wheels also turned not from beside them. When these stood, the, uh, these stood. And when they went, and when they were lifted up, these lifted themselves up also. And the spirit of the creature was in them. And the glory of God departed from out the threshold of the house, etc., etc. And the cherubims, verse 19, and their wings mounted up from earth in my sight, and they went out, and the wheels were also beside them. Of course, the word wheel is Ophan and Ophanim, which is one of the groups of angels, the group of angels that fell, of which all the human beings are. And the angels are the uh, cherubim angels are the guardians. And, and um, um, Jesus said, I think it's the 18th chapter of Matthew, that every single human being has assigned unto them a guardian angel. Now, these are the angels. These are, this is the eagle, the wings. It's the wings of the cherubims. That is talking about here in Revelations twelve fourteen. And who has to ever guess that or to ever know that? Someone say, well, I should like to know what those wings are. I should like to know what the eagle is. I should like to know because it seems like that would be important to know. Well, the Peace Manifest Bible is telling these things. And it's a big, huge book. And God help us and bless this work. Because, praise the name of God, it's going to get published here, we hope, real soon. Wow. Now let's look at um, 
Daniel 7, 21, 25. Daniel 7, 21, 25. This is important scripture. Um, in my teaching last week, I didn't read it. I talked about the times, time and a half times, but I, I didn't read it. Uh, but I want to read it now. And it says, and it's talking about this um, in the 19th verse of Daniel 7. And then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was the verse from all the other beasts. Okay, and then we skip to verse um, 24. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given unto his hand until a time and times and a dividing of the times. This times, time, and a dividing of times is all about this fourth beast who the Bible says in uh, Revelations that the dragon, which is Satan, which is Lucifer, gives him his power and his authority. And that, because it mentions the dragon, automatically takes you back to why Satan and Lucifer have the name dragon, which is the fact that Satan or Lucifer convinced the Ophanims to leave their first estate, as it says in Jude, as it says in Peter, left their first estate and followed Lucifer and went to Drago. And that's where he got the name Dragon. Come on. And so, when it refers to him, it takes you back to those constellations. It takes you back to those wars. It takes you back to the war mentioned in, in chapter 12 of Revelations, when there was war in heaven. And the dragon, the Lucifer, and his angels fought Michael and his angels. It takes you back because it's all connected. It's all a part of that part which is a part. Ladies and gentlemen, it is so important for this vision to be understood and to be seen. Nobody can understand flying saucers and UFOs if they don't know the truth of this. With all the psychos that we have out there, and the people that it just takes a flip to to boil their imagination into some concocted story that after they repeat it two or three times, they begin to develop a false memory and believe it. And the Bible says they are given into strong delusions to believe a lie. That's all Bible, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> How someone comes along, we start talking about these things. Sure, there's going to be people out there. There's going to be people out there that are going to say, wow, I don't know about this. <laughs> this is pretty far out. Well, it's far out from the human mind, but not far out from the spirit. Not far out when you get into those prayers of the saints, prayers of the destinata, that are charged by the Holy Spirit and are revealed by the Holy Spirit, as I read to you in 1 Corinthians, that takes over by the gift within you and begins to, to, to speak to God directly, and commune with God directly about the mysteries of God. 
And, and why is he speaking about the mysteries of God? So that he can inform God of that? God knows all those things. But so that those mysteries that have, not, that have been bound in you can be loosened in you. And by them being spoken from you, through you, to God, they become loosened in you so that they can become, be ready to flow through your mind and out from your person and to set you free by coming into the skill of wisdom and knowledge of the Lord. Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the name of God. Now, um, <laughs> I don't want to take this too long. I have so much more to say. I've got scads of stuff to say, but I better not take it too long. Um, but let me let me at least maybe touch base on one other, one or two other interesting things that uh, I know you would like you'd like to know you'd like to hear. Uh, it's uh, just all important stuff. Let. Uh, Let's turn to the sixth chapter of Proverbs. Proverbs, the sixth chapter. I taught this many, many years ago, but it's still as true today as it was back then. Proverbs, chapter six. Now, it's interesting when we're talking about the abomination that make it desolate. It's interesting when we're talking about the seven spirits of God. And we note that that the horns and the heads of the beast are like seven. The good guys have seven, and the bad guys have seven. Why? Because these are the counter kingdoms. These are the counter kingdoms that are trying to replicate and be false witnesses to make people believe those things. But in the sixth chapter of Proverbs, it lists as things, but which really represent demons or entities. These six things does the Lord hate. Hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Now, we see in this doctrine of the manifest in transaccumulation, that there is the sense in which transaccumulation bodes for a person on the good side. But we have to understand that it also works the opposite. It can become a negative built up. So you you transaccumulate something, but the more of it you get, you finally get, you get one, okay, you're still tolerable. You get two, you're still tolerable. Three, four, five, you're still tolerable. You get six, you're still tolerable. But when you get seven, it becomes the fullness of abomination is no longer tolerable because you have reached the point that God says that is abominable now to me. So that's a very uh, important thing to see and to understand this fullness of, of evil becoming abominable to God and here's the list of them a proud look we call this the demon of, of pride um, a lying tongue the lying demon hands that shed innocent blood and there can be 
more than one answer to this, but let, let's just say the murdering spirit. A heart to, that uh, devises wicked imaginations. Uh, we're calling this the demon of lust. Feet that are swift to run uh, to turmoil, or to run to mischief. The demon of turmoil and confusion. And a false witness uh, that speaketh lies and sows discord among his brethren. The demon of false witness, which incorporates the Antichrist, the false prophet, the false people of false testimony. And there you have seven demons. Now, these seven demons are the seven horns. Someone says, oh, I thought these horns were seven kings. <laughs> these are king spirits, demon, demonic spirits. And when all seven of these can be set up and be working in a society, in a nation, in a life, in a town, in a business, in a church, in a place of irrepute, it creates the abomination that maketh desolate. And Jesus said, when you read this thing in Daniel, you need to really understand what it means. Because it's all there also in Revelations. And we're fighting these beasts. And Lucifer has made a proxy of these seven chief spirits that have been chosen. That are, that are, that are super devils. And Jesus recognized those different gauges of levels. He said that, you know, the, 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 the chief prince of the devils is not going to be casting out his own devils. What sense would that make? Destroy his own kingdom. But he recognized by saying that of the different levels and of the, the, of the counter plan that Satan has. So Satan has created his own unholy commission so that he's got these seven in proxy demons that are chief spirits and he's using them to be able to take the place of decisions for the things that he does and there's much much more to that that is just the beginning I'll tell you that in the peace bible in the Peace Bible. Wow. There is there is so much. Now I want to give you a little report. Don't get restless on me. Don't hang up the phone on me. Don't buzz out on me. But we said that we wanted to get have this book ready for publication by March. Have it ready. But the one of the other things that we said, in order to do that, we needed a certain amount to finance it. Well, I want to praise and thank God that someone has come forward, I'll not say their name, and has given $10,000. Now, if you remember, on that proposal that we have, and it's on the blogs, you can still find it. It proposed that there needed to be several people give 1000 other people give other kinds of funds, and it needed two people to give, at least two people to give 10000 So, 
we can't publish these books until we've got the funds that we need to to publish them. And we still want you to pray for us and with us that there will be someone else come forward in addition to those that already have. We're not putting anything on anybody. If you are in a financial position, you cannot do it. Hey, and I would not mention this, except there is no choice but to mention it so that we can get this book out. So that we, this, this book is so important. It's such an incredible, almost beyond belief book. When I'm in here working with the, the scribe that I have helping me, and of course I have to pay him uh, you know, every month. And, and uh, it's, you know, it's a considerable amount of money to have to pay. He's not expensive, but, you know, any amount of money is amount of money. And I have to pay him, uh, you know, as a, as a wage. Uh, and that's all part of this. But sometimes I'll look over at him and he's working on this piece Bible and you just see tears coming down his cheek. And I say, are you, are you okay? And he, and he just, he just say, this word is so beautiful. This word is so awesome. He says, when I read it, he says, my tears just, my, my eyes just burst with tears. And that is true. That is how it is. So if you pray with me that there be this other person that would put in that 10, we'd be very close to being ready then to have what we need to put the, put the, these two books, uh, Star Rise and the Peace Manifest Bible uh, into the the working machine of getting it ready for for publish uh, to be published and distribution. So we need your prayers. That's all we're asking for. Uh, you can't do what you can't do, but you can pray, and there'll be someone that we can get this word out to, and we can get this incredible thing to happen. Praise be the name of God. So I'm going to conclude my teaching right there. Uh, I haven't. I didn't even get into the Mantis Revelation. This has got to continue. I didn't get into so many other things. But if I went on with that, uh, I would be another two or three hours. And I don't think that that's apropos. So we're going to stop right there. And I want to take the time uh, to do Gentile. And I want to um, to work on the area uh, in which... Um, uh, people have, are having uh, uh, immune, um, uh, their immune system is, is uh, gone the other direction. It's, it's not working right. And um, uh, they have autoimmune. And that autoimmune is actually working against their body. And instead of like the immune that should be working, should be fighting any invasive forces, uh, pathogens and germs of any kind. Uh, but when uh, you get autoimmune, it actually turns on the body, and parts of the body, it begins to fighting. Now, before I do this, Gentile, I want to say this. Number one, I am not a medical doctor. I have a doctor degree in theology, and I have a lot of experience in other uh, kinds of science and math and so forth. Uh, degrees all over the place, but I am not... A, a medical doctor um, we do not in any way in any way whatsoever uh, put anything negative against 
the doctors, the nurses, the hospitals, the medical facilities, the pharmaceutical places, uh, we're not, you know, we, we're not judging the, uh, these things because we know while they're still developing and many things that have not, have not come to a conclusion as far as being able to heal certain kinds of diseases, uh, that, that there are people out there that are trying. And yes, I know that every organization can have money makers and fraud in it, but you know, there have been thousands and thousands and, and thousands of life saved by the medical uh, uh, um, people that we have, the medical facilities that we have. I thank God for them. So when we do Gentile, it is an alternate type of, of method. Uh, it is using uh, an approach into a person's brain, into their mind, and directing uh, the hormones as messengers uh, to begin to tell the body how to heal itself. And it is very, very successful. So tonight we are dealing with this autoimmune. If you are ready, I begin. Hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary to the hypothalamus to the thyroid, to the lymphatic gland, to the parasympathetic, to the sympathetic neural transmission system, to the cerebellum, to the white core brain tissue, and the spinal column. Begin to send messages into the body, uh, to the basal ganglia, substantia nigra, to the making whenever necessary, of capsules uh, of, of whatever would be provided, such as dopamine, uh, to be used to eradicate any kind of interference patterns that would block the normal operation of the immune system and turn it over to some kind uh, of, of uh, violent or some kind of misguided information and make it become autoimmune. Uh, Hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary, hypothalamus to thyroid, begin to send messages to the, um, the hormones, uh, the uh, receptors, and the transmitters uh, to begin to send uh, messages throughout the entire system, throughout all of, of, of the uh, various hemispheres of the brain, uh, and to begin to send messages to strengthen the immune system, and if it is any, if there are any out there that have entered into autoimmune to begin to deal, uh, to eradicate that position uh, by going back in time into the memory of when that condition did not exist and then begin to duplicate those uh, conditions in the body so that in the end of it, uh, that position uh, has then eradicated. Uh, if there are any inhibitors or blockers or messages anti to that, they are canceled. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we come to the close of this uh, meeting, and we thank you for your time. And hey, I need some people to get on the blogs and sign in. I, I, I wrote by the Spirit this beautiful, incredible, informative uh, blog, and there's only been a handful of people reply. And it makes a person think, hey, what am I doing? Is there anybody interested, really interested out there? Will you stand by me? Will you help me? God knows we love you. God bless you.
Thanks for watching. You broadcast.